Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, spring has officially sprung, and we've got a decent amount of uh, practice information, at least as much as you can have uh, through the first couple of days. So excited to be able to jump into uh, the beginning of the 2019 season, and excited as always to be able to thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and a title sponsor, uh, the which, uh, the likes of which, rather, uh, we can only hope for. So hats off to them. Thank you as always. And uh, with that, let's jump into the latest Nolcast. Let's do this thing. So, Ingram, uh, we have something similar now with practice, right? Our podcast and practice. We have no intro music. And, and right now... They have no intro music, on, or they, at least they didn't have it on day one, uh, at, right as practice started, uh, which was a, a major change. And, and much like when our intro music went away, people flipped out about the lack of music, <laughs> amazingly, uh, going on at practice, although there was, you know, it, it, it soon returned. Um, we have some emails about this. Uh, Bud Ingram, was this Bryles doing? Did he ask that the music be taken away? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, I'm also amazed that people would email us within like 30 minutes of the, those tweets being out there. So some people are very, very passionate. I love, I love the ability to extrapolate. Yeah, extrapolation is impressive. Yeah, I'm not really sure where that would have come from. Um, but actually, if you go back and look at the, at the practice clips from Houston, um, Bryles had music playing there. So no, I, I, in this case, I don't think it was his doing. I don't really care either way. Uh, I do think that music at events can can help to keep the energy level up. In fact, I'm at some of these camps every weekend, and uh, I think it was like 30 weekends last year. And ultimately, I find myself thinking, okay, this thing's kind of dying down because the music has gone down, or because the, you know, like we've already heard this song like four times. Like it's important to keep a good beat up. I don't know about you. When I, when I work out, I you know, either listen to the Nolcast uh, or or listen to some music. You got to have a good beat. Um, but if you want to turn down, that's fine. I, don't, I, I just I don't know. I don't think this is a, a big deal at all. Um, do, are, do you have any any uh, any hot music takes? <laughs> no, I don't. I, I think uh, you know it may it may be a slight. Uh, self-evaluation and I, I don't think the music's going away permanently and in, in fact that's been confirmed not to be the case but uh yeah maybe maybe a little bit of an idea as to uh when when they want to try to deploy that uh that energy that you talk about it can be very real uh it also to an extent you know maybe it gets to the point where it doesn't allow a message to be delivered uh one way or another i'm going to make a bold statement and say that you know eight or nine weeks into the year we're not going to be talking about wins or losses that occurred because music was or, or was not playing at practice. So uh, I certainly understand people's want to uh, attach on to things and make larger extrapolations. And on this case, I think, uh, you know, we may be just a little bit of a maybe a little bit of a kind of captured in the in the time period that it is. And there's not really that much other information to, to consume and. People just want to jump to jump to a, a few conclusions sometimes. I'm I'm filing this under five and seven problems, uh, pretty much. Uh, Edgar, would you say that the over under uh, for net wins added uh, with no music at practice is uh, over under one and a half wins? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take the under there. Okay. Uh, also, uh, something else we should not overreact to, and that is people making plays 
without any pads on. This is always a thing, and I feel like this is about the 10th year in a row that we have said, don't flip out either positively or negatively when somebody makes a play without any pads on, especially if that person plays a position where pads are really important, like on the line. Certainly not a, uh, you know, telling you that the offensive line is going to be leaps improved from where it was last year. Uh, Just more saying that just because they got beat the first day or day and a half where they weren't wearing pads, uh, not necessarily an idea that you're going to uh, cut and paste last year's experience. Uh, I'll put it that way. So uh, it's just a position battle that you, you damn near can't win if you don't have pads on and you aren't allowed to engage in the game, uh, the way the game is played when you do carry pads. So, uh, again, I'm not telling you that they're going to be any better. I'm just saying don't think that they're doomed because they are having a hard time blocking a defensive end with any pads on. But they might be doomed. They might be doomed. Yeah, yeah, they might be doomed. If you've got one or two individuals out there that are in the current first team that are still in the first team come uh, September, problems will continue to be had, I'm sure. Okay, so uh, the third thing here that is really not a big deal uh, that we've received some questions on, we're kind of just going to knock these out real, real fast before we get into a little bit more meaningful stuff, uh, is that the media is uh, locked out of practice uh, somewhat, uh, well, I, mean, I, guess, I guess a lot compared to, uh, to last year. So as people who don't actually make their money on practice access for the most part, let's discuss this, I guess, the good and, and the bad of it uh, from a – I guess let's discuss it from the team perspective, potentially the good and the bad. First of all, I think you have a great perspective on this, having run and operated uh, Tomahawk Nation for as long as you have. But uh, my opinion is, uh, look, if you're if you're of the mindset that uh, Taggart and the entirety of the staff may want to take a much more of a, uh, I don't know, aggressive stance with a team as though they're going to be like physical with guys or anything else, but maybe a more aggressive, uh, you know, how people talk about the de-recruitment process, you know, perhaps, uh, perhaps a more aggressive ideas to the hierarchy of the program or trying to get people in the, in the mind, uh, that is a little bit more of a buying into a rank or anything else Then, yeah, maybe it helps to not have cameras there. Maybe you can tongue lash somebody a little bit, uh, to an extent that you wouldn't otherwise, uh, maybe you're trying to, not that this is uh, necessarily this coaching staff's desire. Maybe you are trying to eliminate one or two of the distractions out there. It's entirely possible. Uh, I, look, you can pitch it as something that, that could be good uh, for, for them, and maybe they want to eliminate distractions. I I really do question how much um, having media there for the first couple periods of the day when you're generally just stretching and doing individual work and, for the most part, not a whole lot of team stuff, is a distraction, but you know that that's certainly their prerogative, um, I guess. Although as a state university, I, I, I wonder if somebody will challenge that eventually. Um, I, I do think there's potentially bad for the program with this too. Uh, the, the media is going to focus on what it knows, and there's a lot of quotes you you can look up over time from really good journalists. But bored journalists are usually not a good thing for a program. If if, if you give them things to cover. If you give them subjects to interview, if you give them the ability to put out content, they're probably going to be pretty happy, right? If they don't, then what they're going to do most likely is turn to more analysis. And I guarantee you the media right now 
is not real trusting of this FSU staff. In fact, I think they're probably full of it. Or rather, they think that the staff is full of it in large part. And it's hard to blame them considering what we were told at times last year and how the season panned out. Now, if they're going to do analysis on this program and they don't really believe what the people are going to tell them because they can't actually watch, watch any practice, well, then what's their analysis probably going to be based on? It's going to be based on their last impression of the program. Their last impression of the program was a team that looked like Willie Taggart was going to get fired in year two if, if they ran this type of product out there again. Five and seven, looking poorly coached, not looking like they made meaningful improvements. You know, we know they did in some, in some spots. I'm just saying in general, kind of your average beat guy you know, might, might believe that. Um, so if you're trying to, to kind of put a, a foot forward of positivity and, and focus on Hey, let's let's focus on what's coming next, and focus on the improvements, and focus on the new energy, and on, on bringing in, you know, Kendall Browse, which of course still not been made available to the media. Which is a, you know, maybe they'll just continue to pretend like he doesn't exist for his, the entirety of his time here. Uh, then I don't know that shutting the media out is the best way to do that. Now I'm going to continue to be positive when my information says to be positive. I'm going to continue to be negative when I see that there are things to be negative about. This is not going to affect me because I don't I don't go cover practice in that way. Uh, but there, it, it's not—it's it, not a decision that comes without ramifications. I, I guess I'll say. Yeah, yeah. There's certainly, you know, you give people access, and you also give people the ability to uh, to find a story or write about kids, or uh, you know, just just focus or either focus on characters or give people the opportunity to come to an idea that there's some kind of shift in momentum or leadership or buy-in or anything else uh, that that a writer may choose to write about. Um, otherwise, they may have to try to find other other you know other points of conversation or other things to uh, try to give their audience for consumption. Uh, one of the things there that I talked about was leadership, bud, and um, this has long been kind of a, a little bit of a feeling uh, within the program, but I think it's only been confirmed so far from uh, people that we've talked to that are closer to the team, and that is that your leadership in this program right now, for the most part, not saying there's not individual leaders, but a lot of it's freshmen and sophomores. A lot of it's younger kids. Uh, A lot of it is, I don't know that we're necessarily repeating like program talking points to say that, yeah, you may see a real change in the locker room, uh, possibly in the culture, uh, but I do think you're going to see some change in kind of the the leadership structure and how the team uh, views leaders, sees leaders, and and maybe ultimately who individual people choose to follow. Yeah, I, I uh, if you know if you recall, remember Coach Taggart had said that when he got here, people had told him that that there are a bunch of turds on this team. I remember, I think he used the word turds, right? He did. Yep. Uh, and and he he found that wasn't the case. And and I I don't know that he's being truthful there. Uh, to be honest, I, I think that if they were not under such harsh APR um, circumstance, you know, with, with the inability to kick kids off the team, except in pretty extreme circumstance, uh, that he would have, have probably been able to trim the fat quite a bit. And indeed, some of those you know bad actors remain on the team. Uh, I agree with you. I think that, that the the many of the new leaders on this team for this year and, and next year are, are going to come from the younger ranks. I. I I don't know that, that the, the veterans are, are necessarily the, the guys who are going to be, be your best leaders. I, I think that a lot of it's the younger guys who, who were recruited by, by Willie and, uh, 
and who are going to come in there and, and try to execute his vision. Uh, so we'll have to see. Uh, maybe, maybe there will be some some older guys who step up, but uh, that's that's very much wait and see uh, for me at least. Bud, we'll pause real briefly here to thank our friends at Madison Social for the Table Restaurant Group uh, as a whole. Uh, we've been fortunate to work with them since day one, and uh, we are excited to announce another collaboration with them tonight. So um, don't have entirety of details for you, um, but if you are coming to the spring game, uh, plan on trying to spend time with uh, Bud and I prior. We will have some uh, pretty cool pint glasses available for you guys uh, as long as a a drink package as well. Probably be located over at Township as uh, that's a, a pretty great place for us to be able to uh, mingle and get an idea as to uh, what the listenership has to feedback and uh, just kind of catch up before we go into the spring game. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Have a couple drinks, go watch uh, Lethal Simplicity 2.0 uh, or maybe have several drinks if, if you're going to try and watch that uh, again. But uh, it's going to be great. It, it was fun last year. A lot of excitement with, with the spring game. I think there will be some excitement with the spring game this year. Probably not quite as much, but I'm still really excited to get out there and, and thank all the listeners with Listener Appreciation Event and uh, just say what's up to everybody. I really feel like we have a great community here with the show and, and one that I never thought would grow uh, like it is, and, and it's grown that way uh, with, the, with the help of our sponsors, like Madison Social and, and Township is the draw. Absolutely. Fantastic people to be able to work with, and uh, we'll have more details for you in the future. We're also going to try to do something with, uh, with For the Table uh, restaurant group for the Boise State game as well. So details to follow on that, but uh, as always, thank you to the people, Matt and everybody else over there at uh, For the Table restaurant group. Been great partners with us since day one. You want to talk a little uh, little offense now? Let's talk a little offense. Uh, we haven't heard from Bryles, as you uh, kind of referenced there Who? a second ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the unknown offensive coach. Um, but, you know, maybe we maybe we can talk a little bit of ideas to our initial ideas as to how to practice have gone and, and how he's kind of trying to implement his scheme in, in whatever form or fashion. Yeah, I, I so the main takeaway that we, we've received so far is that he's really not being – incredibly hands-on, right? He He's told him what to do, and I think he's sitting back and watching him ex- and try to execute it, and, and he's trying to get the big-picture stuff because clearly there's a lot of stuff wrong with this offense last year. I mean, uh, most of it was the fact they just couldn't block. I mean, I know Pro Football Focus had him 130 out of 130, and, and they just have a lot of bad football players on the offensive line, guys who just lack talent and lack ability. And there's nothing Kendall Browse can do about that, that portion of it. So his job is, is going to be to fix – some other elements, and, and hope that some of those guys that played last year won't have to play anymore, um, you know, as, as callous as, as that might be. Uh, but I do think this is interesting because he's really kind of letting them sink or swim, and he's not trying to spoon feed of this tempo. And, and in doing so, I think it, it, it really accomplishes something here in that it lets the offense know just how far it has to go, right? Like, they're not stopping – Say okay, no, you screwed this up. We need, we need to do this like this. Like they're they're going over it, but man, they're they're showing them all their mistakes and be like, look, mistake, mistake, mistake. And that's that's good, I, I think, to kind of give them in totality just how far they have to go. Um, I think it's also important to note that this is not a total overhaul. This is really, in many ways, a continuity hire. We've been pitching it like that from day one because the systems they run are so similar. Now, I do think that. This is a very unique continuity hire in that Kendall Bryles knows this offense, in my opinion, 
better than Willie Taggart knows his own offense because this is really Browell's offense, which is the main group from, from which he, he adapted it. Um, so some changes. I, I, I don't know they'll do as much pen and pull on the zone stuff, but I, I do like him kind of sitting back uh, and, and looking big picture on, on day one. And then I assume that as they go through more practices, He'll, he'll get more into kind of the nitty-gritty. James Blackman, uh, obviously your uh, QB1 at this point, but um, big uh, big weight gain made, evidently, at least according to the roster. Edgar, which of the, which of the 16 ounces that James Blackman added uh, <laughs> was your favorite? Oh, man. Uh, I will, I, there were 16 of them. Yeah, one, one pound, Yeah, buddy. 16 ounces for a pound. Um, I will say that just having... Having looked at the pictures and interviews of James, I, I would guess that he had probably gained more than one pound. Looks like he's put on some decent weight, but uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that underlies the overall idea that these things are, are not exactly a science. Um, but uh, I, I did have a chuckle when I looked at that one one pound gain by uh, by Mr. Blackman there. I do not trust Florida State's, uh, some of their digital media stuff at all. Uh, that is, goes for the social media, oh, which, look, yeah. if our social media people on Tomahawk made that many errors, I would fire them. Uh, was, and they're not even full-time employees. They've had a rough um, last week, too, that a lot of people have The just... roster was like a complete cluster for several days as they tried to get it uploaded correctly. Um, i got to tell you, somebody who runs a website, we have a roster on ours. And if it's not right, I, I'm like, that bothers me. I'm like, God, we, we got to get this fixed. And sometimes I'll just go do it myself. Like, even if I got to stop what I'm doing, which, you know, is a micromanager, probably inefficiency of, of, of my style. But, um, yeah, so I'm with you. I think James Blackman has added more than one pound. I, look, we have no idea when these guys were weighed. If they were even weighed, these could be total, total BS and just made up, right? We don't know. In fact, I do know, I know a person at a, uh, a ACC Power 5 school uh, who is in charge of weighing people literally like that's one of their jobs and uh if they don't um uh, if the kids don't show up for weigh-in or if like if he missed them on that day and the media people come asking for a roster he uh he takes and he ports over the kids who actually did weigh in and then he just estimates the other ones based on how they've been working out so it's possible that maybe they didn't actually weigh blackman and that he looked at last year's number for blackman and just added something right now, I would have added them up to, like, what, what did they actually list them at? Like, 178 or something? He he does look bigger, le- legitimately. Like, all, all jokes aside, James Blackman did not gain just one pound. I, 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 call, I call BS on that. Um, I think he probably gained, like, I don't know, maybe five pounds. To me, just, uh, I would guess that James added about somewhere between six to eight pounds, uh, just looking at him. So they have him at 182 now. 6'5", 182. There you go. Um, Boom. Okay. I, I bet you he's 185. Legitimately. Like maybe maybe, maybe not 190. This is kind of a silly decision or discussion, but uh, ultimately, yeah, there's some behind-the-scenes stuff. Sometimes those rosters that schools put out are not entirely uh, accurate. So they do make an effort to, to make them accurate. But like sometimes the kids just don't get weighed, so that is uh, that's that. Uh, also, he's the unquestioned guy at quarterback right now, and I would expect him to be for uh, for this season and uh, for the season after that as well. So uh, hopefully he takes well to the offense. Uh, 
Another good sight out there was uh, Kalon LeBourne out there running around and uh, and and looking like he's made good progress from that that knee injury that, that for all the world looked pretty devastating. Um, <clears throat> he certainly is a. Uh, you know, I don't know. This is a real silly conversation to have. I don't think much about last year would have been changed uh, had LeBourne not sustained that injury from a record standpoint. But uh, just would have been would have been great to see what that guy uh, would have been last year. And it, it'll be great to see how he bounces back this year as, as, as at least as an explosive, uh, an athlete on the offensive side, uh, not saying he's your best player or anything else, but a guy who just had a chance to uh, make one or two guys miss and, and get you 30 yards out of nowhere, which last year's offense. So, uh, so desperately needed, but uh, great to see him continue his uh, rehab. And by all accounts, things have gone pretty well and he'll be, uh, you know, back. Uh, I don't never want to say somebody's going to be a hundred percent. You never want to say they're not. Uh, but I think he's done everything possible to give himself the best, uh, best situation through rehab so far. Yeah. I, I don't know that he's going to be full go for contact or anything. Like I said, they're not in pads yet. So I, I, I do not know what the plan is for him. I would guess that he probably is not going to be taking full contact in spring. Who knows? Maybe I'll look like an idiot and he'll come out there and be taking full contact, uh, from day one. But, uh, in any case, that's that's really good to see. Uh, also good to see is just the, the plethora of elite-looking receivers that Florida State has. Man, they, they've got some dudes over there. I'm, if there's an area of this team to be excited about, it, it's got to be receiver, right? Like, that might be the best position group on the team. They've, uh, they've done a really good job, and they've got a lot of pieces over there that look like they may be ready to have uh, real breakout years. Uh, so... You know the the brief amount of tape that we've seen uh, has been exciting. If you're Ron Dugans, you got to be really excited. Uh, if you're Kendall Bryles, I think you have to be exceptionally excited as far as what you can draw upon. <clears throat> uh, real deep group, tons of uh, competition will come out of that room. Uh, I don't, I'm not trying to take shots at a kid, but I think uh, uh, perhaps addition by subtraction uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the leadership overall of that group. Uh, in roster turnover, I think like think there's a possibly a lot of good things to come from the wide receivers. I'm picking up what you're putting down there as far as the leadership and, and roster turnover with with, uh, with Nooney. I no longer being around. I, look, I also think it's a good thing that Keith Gavin is now really going to be pushed. Got to have it, Keith. You got, you got I mean, Warren Thompson. Yeah, you got you got Jordan Young. You know, you, you have Treshawn Harrison. Look, we we know. We know that, that, that Tamari and Terry is is a beast, and I think he's really going to flourish in this offense. Um, this is a really easy offense for receivers to, to understand. So you'd have to think that in year two of this that they could pick it up and maybe get lined up a little bit better. Uh, to me, that suggests not something about receiver coaching but about overall uh, organization, getting signals signaled in, whatnot, and, and an understanding of that. Uh, but, I mean – Keith Gavin's going to be pushed. Just just looking pretty out there in uniform is is no longer going to be going to be the standard for for getting on the field. And look, he definitely saw his playing time reduce some last year because he, he's had issues catching the ball and and high pointing it and all, all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, I, I like Keith a lot, man. As a person, uh, I mean, he's he's one of my favorite kids I've ever covered as a recruit, and it sucks that so far he's he's not had a successful career uh, on the field at least. But, uh, but they're, he's going to have legitimate competition. And, and there's a lot of big bodies out there who they want to get out there. In addition to having, you know, I, I, th- I think Helton's going to push D.J. Matthews, 
right? If DJ can can be mature and focused and be a leader, I mean, kind of all the same things we were saying about Nyquan Murray, if he can do those things, he can be a really good player in this offense. If he can't, look, I think Keyshawn Hilton is going to be a good player for them. He's a smart guy. This offense should create a lot of space for you to operate in. And uh, and he's he's a, a guy who can utilize that space. Yeah, you mentioned uh, just looking good in a uniform is not necessarily going to be adequate enough for Gavin. Uh, two guys who who have uh, used the time off uh, and look to have added some real quality weight are uh, are Harrison and Terry. Both uh, both look to have taken to the strength program a little bit. No doubt, and and Warren Thompson too. Yeah, Warren Thompson looks, as well looks looks pretty big, man. I mean, legitimately. Kind of yoked up, so that's that's encouraging, uh, for sure. All right, now we're going to stop and thank our other sponsor of the night, Resolution Home Loans. That's Resolution Home Loans. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN or visit fsuhomeloans.com, you're going to be hooked up with the best loan people in the business. Check their online reviews. They show it. Check my testimonial right now. I tell it. I got my mortgage through Resolution Home Loans. Great customer service. Great rate. Fast service, excellent communication. I mean, if you're looking for something else in a mortgage company, I, I don't know what it is. And you get to work with Knowles. It's Knowles helping Knowles. 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. All right, we gave, gave gave a little taste of the positive there at wide receiver. We'll slide over to, uh, to Defense. Uh, offensive oh, line. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Defense. You have no defense. idea how hard I wanted to you take. You just slide just... straight over to defense. Yeah, I, I was. I was. I was going to take just. Just. I was going to just take and hit page down real quick on, on our show outline, and I was like, okay, defense. It is. Uh, what, what What do you think Randy Clement's drink of choice was when he got home after that first day? Uh, probably. A, probably a strong bourbon followed by another strong bourbon followed by maybe one more just a, a speedball. Yeah, just yeah. Let him. Let him try to forget what he saw. Oh, man, a couple Z-bars. Uh, of course, I'll ingest, not trying to imply that that uh, the coach drinks or uses, uses drugs, uh, just that the offensive line talent that he's been given to work with is pretty poor. A lot of bad football players over there and uh, a lot of guys who lack talent and who have not been developed in prior seasons and who are basically irredeemable. Yeah, yeah. At, on, on the field, at least. Just guys who are not going to be able to play at, the, at a high level. And of course, Florida State fans uh, kind of lost their stuff uh, when uh, when they saw that the first team lineup was Juwan Williams <laughs> at left tackle, Brady Scott at left guard, Babyon Johnson at center, Mike Arnold at right guard, and Lynn Dickerson at right tackle. Uh, there are two guys on that list who, uh, if they are in the starting lineup come fall, I'm going to have a hard time predicting Florida State to make a bowl just because of how bad they were last year. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be a significant amount of improvement from two of those guys, three of those guys, even. Um, but it's day one, and you know, like I, I, I assume he just said, "All right, get get lined up how you did last year. We're going to look at some things." Uh, there will be a lot of different lineup combinations. I, I expect second team, Bello Lucas uh, Baselli slash Meadows. Uh, from what I was told, uh, both struggled with snapping the ball. Uh, Armstrong at the other guard spot, and then Jalen Goss at uh, at the other tackle spot there. And then a uh, third team rotating in some. Jay Williams, the junior college kid who is fairly athletic for his size but needs a ton of work technique-wise. And um, Neil, 
the uh, brother of the five-star tackle in Dallas, or not brother, but the relative of the five-star tackle in Alabama, who, you know, I, I still kind of uh, was not sure exactly why they took him as a recruit. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, is a uh, yeah. is a is a prereq to play center at Florida State that you have to struggle snapping the ball because uh, we we seem to have had uh, a pretty significant run of that recently. You know, I think it might be. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, that, that, it's bizarre out of that position, being that you know, look, I've I, I think I played center for two quarters, and and it's not an easy thing to do. But snapping the ball is kind of a fundamental aspect of that uh, that particular position, and I'm just kind of kind of flabbergasted by how much we've struggled to do that over the past couple of years. I I think that 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 Mo Smith. The, the guy you signed out of center mm-hmm. yeah. might end up being your backup center in short order. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's a, a pretty smart football player and a guy who can do it. And, and look, I, I think they'll probably get it right with Babyon. I'd, I'd have to imagine. Um, like, Baselli's not going to be your starting center on this team. I, I don't believe. Um, Meadows playing some center is interesting. He had mentioned that as a recruit, but I don't think he did it really at all last year in practice, that, that, at least not that I can remember. Um but, uh, yeah, I again, I think the best case for this unit is below average. I think they'll probably end up being bad, but just maybe not, you know, 130th in the nation bad. I just I don't think they have good players here. Yeah. I think they have some of the worst players in the conference here. I put it this way. Uh, coaches and, and their GAs sometimes, or not sometimes, sometimes their GAs are aides in this process. Uh, but they all have list of kids to call, and they've got recruiting calls to make all the time. Uh, I don't think anybody's necessarily having to having to prod Clements right uh, right now to uh, do his best to search the landscape for what's out there. Uh, I think pretty FSU is lucky they're on that unlimited phone plan, man, because he is burning up those phone lines. It's like, oh my nobody's, god, nobody's uh, nobody's checking his call count or asking him uh, how many how many kids he's followed up with right now. That's uh, he's got he's got quite the uh, quite the work, quite the project in front of him. We'll slide. We will now. Slide over to the defensive line. A uh, little bit more enjoyable conversation. Uh, there, there aren't any. Uh, certainly, aren't any Marvin Wilsons on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and there probably aren't too many Curry, Corey Durdens either. No, you, you wish there were, but uh, I really like the interior of the defensive line as far as the starters go. Marvin Wilson looks primed to have a big time year. Showed up to camp in shape and. Uh, uh, has a big tattoo on his arm with a bunch of writing. Looks like he almost has the. We were joking in our Slack chat. It looks like he has the whole Declaration of Independence on on, on his left arm just because how how jacked he looks. Uh, and, and then Corey Durden also looks ready to play. Um, I think the question there is going to be depth, right? You, you lose you lose Demarcus Christmas. Um, Jalen Parks is still recovering from an injury. I don't know that you ever get anything from Cedric Wood. Uh, his his career has been kind of derailed by several injuries. Malcolm Lamar uh, is now playing defensive tackle, which uh, I think has been obvious to everybody but Malcolm uh, for at least 18 months. But it looks like he now uh, is with the program, too, as far as not being a defensive end. He was, like, over 300 pounds uh, on his official visit. So, or, well, I don't say over. That may not be a complete accuracy. But he was damn near close to being 300, 300 bills uh, in um, – in high school. So in any case, uh, he's playing defensive tackle. I, I think depth there is the question, but I, I do like your top end talent there. And, and they look in, they look like they're, they're playing with a lot of energy. And then on the outside, I think you might have a little bit better depth 
than you do top-end talent. And we're going to have to see if some of these guys can develop. You have to replace Brian Burns out here, but you have Janarius Robinson, who it's go time, right? You have Josh Kando, ditto. You have, you have Briggs, who I, I really like coming out of high school. I think could be a good player for you. Maybe not a, a great player this year, but could be a solid player for you this year. Uh, and then you have Xavier Peters, who has as much upside as almost anybody on the team if he can be a uh, you know consistently focused uh, player, which look, there was a reason Florida State was able to slide in and get him very late, uh, but there's also a reason they wanted him in the recruiting process. And, and the reason that they wanted him was his talent. So we're going to have to see what they do with that. And uh, our inbox is filled up with everybody asking, Ingram, are we going to move to a 3-4 defense? Yeah, I heard a lot of talk about that uh, from the collective fan base recently. And honestly, if you've uh, if you've listened to the podcast, we haven't necessarily talked about them, that that was going to be their intention. Uh, we have talked for more than a year now that if you were to just observe the pieces that were being brought in, uh, you would you would wonder if that was not their intention. So, um, I know that they've given a couple looks like that in, in practice. Uh, I don't think we're, we're on the verge of, of going full-time 3-4, and I don't know that we have the personnel uh, either on the roster or the coaching staff to do that, to be honest with you. But uh, it is, uh, it's, it's something that certainly has been in the collective conversation a bit recently. Yeah, I, so I know that they, this was, their intent with their recruiting was not to recruit to run a 3-4. Period, because I have sources, and they would have told me we're taking this kid because we want to move to a three-four eventually, or we think this kid will fit in our eventual role for the defense. I think they just tried to recruit what they could get, and as we've said, they they did not do a great job of signing elite defensive linemen over the last few years. That's probably the spot where their talent, as far as what they've signed, has been the most underwhelming, outside of offensive line, of course. Uh, but I think it, running some 3-4 makes some sense. I, I'm not totally convinced they have the outside backers to do this. Running a 3-4 can give you some different looks against the spread. It can give you some different looks against um, uh, against the RPO game, and, and it, it can allow you to be a little bit more multiple without really changing your coverage rules, which is important. Because I, I, don't, I don't think you want to have to totally give, give new run fit rules and, and, and new back end rules to your back end. But if you can mix up your fronts a little bit, obviously you have Mark Schneider working with special teams now because Odell's coaching the whole D-line. But that's not really like a group of 16 Odell's coaching because Snyder's also coaching uh, the outside linebackers a little bit, which suggests to me that they will run some 3-4 this year. Uh, I don't think it'll be a full-time 3-4 look. Uh, and that also doesn't answer what kind of nickel package they're going to play. Uh, and remember, they're going to have to be in their nickel over half the time because of how, how many spread teams they play. So we'll see. It, I think it, it could really help you out with some of the bigger spread teams you play who, who like to use a tight end. So just something to keep an eye on there, but potentially kind of cool. Something to keep an eye on, a name that we didn't talk about uh, along the defensive tackle, and I don't want to slide out of the position group without mentioning uh, Robert Cooper, old trench monster. Uh, oh, yeah, he got in shape. Continues to, continues shape. to evolve, continues to look like he's uh, you know going to gonna, – bank off the progress that he made uh, last year and uh hey that's uh that's a great emergence we've talked we've been critical of some of the people that they've signed uh if cooper keeps heading in the right direction then yeah there may be a another potential uh defensive lineman who has a level to play at a has the potential to play at an elite level so good for that kid great uh 
great to see him continue to make the most of his time. Absolutely. So, linebacker. We have a new face at linebacker, and his name is Hamsun Nasruddin. Uh, this move makes sense, I, I, I think. Uh, he's basically kind of traded places with Jaden Wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Hamza's a look. When whenever you talk about a big physical safety who's great in run support and struggles in coverage, that's it's a recipe for a kid who might end up turning into a linebacker. Uh, and I think Hamza's got uh, certainly has. If he has potential to play uh, on Sundays, then I believe that exists at linebacker, and uh, I think it's a I think it's a good move for him, and will only end up helping the helping the program and, and the, uh, the individual player. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, remember that in this system, Florida State's star backer is, is a lot bigger th- than in their old system, right? In their old system, the star backer had to be able to cover receivers more. In this one, it is more of a true linebacker. So I think that's why they made the change. I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't think it'll be a drastic difference, but it, it probably is a little bit better fit of personnel given what you have in the back end this year. Uh, decent numbers overall at linebacker. Maybe not, uh, you know, quite the level of talent that Florida State fans would come to expect, but, uh, you know, maybe not necessarily the group that was, uh, not so lovingly referred to as the speed bumps, uh, not all that long ago either. Hamza joins a group that's got, uh, Warner, who had moments as, uh, as a freshman, Brooks, who mm, had moments either way as a freshman. Uh, Rice continues to come back. Uh, Jackson's probably the, you know, the, uh, kind of the the flag bearer of the group, but uh, steady progress at linebacker, I guess, is what you're seeing. There's no doubt. Uh, the competition is going to be a lot better, and that, 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 that can only be a good thing. The depth is going to be better. Do they have really talented high-end players here that who are ready to contribute? I, we'll see. Uh, you know, what, what is Dontavious Jackson's uh, final form? I don't know. Is Leonard Warner going to be more aggressive and and sort of quicker to trigger? We'll see. You know, is is DeKalen Brooks is he actually talented enough to get run in a, in a good Florida State defense? I have my doubts, but we'll see. Uh, Emmett Rice, I like if he can stay healthy. I, they, he's actually one of the, the guys who's legitimately aggressive. So, and they got to see what they're going to get out of out of Mari Gaynor as well. You know, I mean, he, he's a guy who who definitely had a whole lot of talent coming out of high school. Um, we should also talk a little bit about uh, defensive back. So, like we said, Hamza was moving over there to backer. Uh, Jaden, uh, by the way, he's now going uh, uh, Lars Woodbay. Lars Woodbay, yeah, is that his, uh, his mom's maiden name or something like that, I believe? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, yes, and, and his mom's on Twitter. I'm sure she will confirm. Uh, but uh, that's pretty cool, you know, and uh, – so he's playing safety. We also have another move, and that's Stanford Samuels III playing corner. Uh, Levante Taylor playing safety. Greg Dent playing some safety. Asante Samuel, A.J. Lighton, and Kyle Myers playing some corner. So why on the position changes? I've, I've been doing some thinking about this today when, when I was on the treadmill. And uh, so ultimately, they really wanted, they wanted Stanford Samuels to work out playing corner or playing safety. Because in this defense, the, the, that zoo safety position does have to be able to pick up vertical routes from the slots. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that given his ability to play corner, Samuels would, would have the ability uh, to do that. Unfortunately, he, he didn't really show a, a great ability 
um, to, to play in open space like that as the season progressed, which is why I think you moved him back to corner. I, I think in theory what they did makes all, makes all the sense in the world. And I, I look, some of the stuff they did, I, don't, I did not think made a lot of sense. But to me, that did make a lot of sense. The problem was it just – he never looked all that comfortable doing it. You know, like we remember he got hurt. And then, he, and then he came back, and you were wondering, okay, like once he gets healthy, is he going to be – because what, did he have a knee, I think? He was wearing that big brace, if you recall, last uh, last August. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're wondering, okay, like once he gets healthy, is he going to be more comfortable doing – and ultimately, it just looked like he never really was. Um, so, you know, that was a big uh, – that was a big problem. So they moved him back to corner where I think he's going to be more comfortable. Now, they still need somebody to pick up those, those vertical routes, right? So hopefully healthy again here. Levante Taylor playing some safety. Um, he will likely be able to pick up some of those vertical routes. We're seeing Greg Dent playing safety already doing a, a big-time job in practice. Again, don't overreact, but, but he made several nice plays already that you can see videos of uh, on, on Twitter, I believe. And uh, look, Greg Dent's a superstar. Uh, he has the physicality, the athleticism, the smarts, and the competitive temperament that you want in your five-star. This is why you'd have to recruit five-stars. These are your top-end guys. We're not talking about a whole lot of instant impact three stars here. Um, and then at the other corner, Asante Samuel and A.J. Lighton, who are, are smaller, but they can be pests. I I, I think Samuel is going to be a good college football player. I, I, I'm really confident in that, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be a great pro, but Florida State plays college football at last check, so there's nothing wrong with having some very good college players. Um, at times, I, I in the past, at times, I do think that they had a bit of an issue. When it works, it works great you know with uh like the 2013 defense when every guy on that defense got drafted that you know that was effective uh unfortunately i i do think that it's important to balance floor and ceiling and to me samuel is is a good example of of a floor player i don't know what his ceiling is i don't see him being like a first round pick uh however i do think he has a very high floor as a college player due to his smarts and his athleticism the size is the question. Yeah, but. yeah, the size is the question. His NFL limitations will be dictated by size. He's exceptionally aggressive, plays with an attitude. Um, I mean, look, you don't you don't want to give Miami two chances to throw a jump ball up at him, but uh, he's he's has as much confidence uh, from my perspective uh, of being able to go out there and do what's asked of him as as anybody in the secondary by the end of last year. He really really emerged uh, in the back half of his freshman season. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. So, uh, I I think the safe, the uh, the secondary will actually be improved this year, uh, and, and I don't say that just out of blind uh, blind fandom or, or hope. I I think they legitimately will. Uh, you hope that these position changes work out for them because I I like all these kids there. Hey, y'all! Just a reminder to give us five stars on iTunes. People look at the reviews, they read them. Advertisers like them, of course, but it also helps us get really high in the iTunes ratings and. We have more five-star reviews than I think all the other shows combined. So that's great, and we know we're the number one Knowles podcast for a reason. Not trying to brag on that, but simply trying to tell you all, if you rated us a long time ago or like maybe over six months ago and you're still liking the show, pull up your phone, pull up your wife's phone, your husband's phone, boyfriend, girlfriend's phone, brother's phone, sister's phone. Throw another throw another rating on there if you're really liking the show. It's important, and iTunes does like to have fresh ratings to keep that content churning and, and keep us up very high up there in the ranks. And uh, we're having another successful growing year. So very much appreciate it. And we will uh, keep the episodes coming. Thanks for being a listener. 
something that didn't work out for him, at least not uh, as they hoped here, is uh, David Kelly. Uh, they, they, they wanted to move him uh, into an off-field, more general manager role uh, and hire a 10th coach. And uh, they applied to the NCAA to, uh, to have a waiver because they uh, were worried that he was going to run afoul of the uh, individuals associated with the prospect rule. And uh, uh, that waiver was denied. So a couple things here. A lot of y'all have emailed about this, so we should, we should discuss it. Uh, the first thing I think I'll, I'll tell you is that I was told that basically at other schools, this would not be a problem and that Florida State's compliance was basically just like overzealous and they're real strict about stuff. I have heard that before, actually from the prior staff. They thought the compliance was... Uh, uh, was was very, very strict on stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are people at Florida State that think this is just silly and that if they had just, uh, you know, begged forgiveness rather than asked permission, this this whole thing would have been a non-issue. I, Unfortunately, that's not what they did. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, I, I kind of want my appliance, and, and compliance rather, to be looked at that way by the coaching staff. And, and I can... <clears throat> this fan base has, has questioned some of the moves of this coaching staff already. I promise you that if, if something occurred as to where some of the prospects that they deemed that they signed were ultimately deemed ineligible because of uh, a situation like that, that it would be, uh, I, look, I'll put it this way. I can see both sides of, of the equation and both sides of, uh, as to where this stems from. And, and if compliance was possibly, uh, overzealous in their, want to avoid future issues. Right. So the question is, uh, so it looks like Florida State will operate with a, a 5-4 split, right, of offensive coaches and defensive coaches as opposed to 5-5, five and five, at least for this year. Uh, that is basically exactly what every team did before last year, right, when we only had nine assistant coaches. Uh, now, in practice, we know that there are other guys who help out, <clears throat> quote-unquote, in a non-coaching role. You know what I mean? Uh who happen to be around the program a whole lot, who maybe help coach certain positions, like DB, maybe. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily a huge deal, but at the same time, I also don't think that it's fair to spin this as an advantage, right? Because if it was an advantage, Florida State would not have, like, like they, they would have just said, okay, this is what we want to do the whole time. Or somebody else would have already done it. Right, and look, we know that other schools have thought about doing this. Um, and I, I, it, it's a bit of outside-the-box thinking thing. The advantage, if there is one here, is that we know Florida State is understaffed from a recruiting standpoint. They do not have the staffs that these other big-time schools do. Dave Kelly is an excellent recruiter. I actually think he was a good coach. So I, I don't think that like there's some insane coaching upgrade with the receivers right now. But I do think there's probably an upgrade with dudes. Um Kelly now can go and recruit during the week off campus, right? As a as a coach, literally, even though he's going to be his main role is going to be, you know, GM. That is an advantage in recruiting to be able to be out there on the road because usually these coaches can't do it because they're focusing on on game prep. He can be more like having more organization of the recruiting board, which we know has been an issue at times, right? Like I've blasted them for staying on certain prospects too long, not having somebody who saw the total picture. 
Coach Kelly can be getting in these guys' backsides if, if, if you know about about not doing their jobs on a recruiting trail if he feels like one of them is slacking. So there there are advantages to this. I don't think that the entire thing is an advantage, however. I disagree with the folks who see it in that way. I think that some of the advantages to the move mitigate the amount of negativity to the move, but I don't necessarily fully accept this is like a, a net positive. Do you? Um, it may end up being. I mean, I, I certainly agree with uh, the assessment that it was not an intentional thing and this was not their desire. Um, it would be very interesting to see how this goes. I mean, I, I could see in a couple years that uh, if this is still the situation, then, you know, what's what's to stop Alabama from having a, a quote-unquote running backs coach and then an actual running backs coach? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Who says they already don't? Right, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, like, send, after the media goes away, the shadow staff comes right. out, right? And, and the actual coach goes out on the trail. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, I, don't, need you, I don't need you coaching my running backs. That's what I've got – Two, tw- two 20 year NFL coaches doing go recruit. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting area to talk about and something that, uh, you could extrapolate in a pretty interesting direction. There are uh, a lot of people who I know who think that there was an SEC school a couple of years ago who basically had a offensive line coach who was there to recruit. And then in practice, he actually didn't do the recruiting or excuse me, did not do the coaching. Like some other guy came out after the media left and uh, um, and would do the actual coaching. And the guy who was doing the actual coaching was like 75 years old and like like very experienced, you know, and the other guy was just kind of the face mm-hmm. of, the off- uh, of the offensive line recruiting for that program. Right. And I'm not looking to get sued, so I'm not going to say what program that is. But uh, anyway. Ingram, I think the one, ant- the one reason why other schools might not do this uh, or at least maybe not the schools you would think, is is potentially money, right? This move might make more sense for a school that lacks funds, which I think currently Florida State is not poor, but they have to be judicious about their spending, um, as opposed to some schools that can just afford to have an enormous staff. You know, like if you read the Yahoo article on Georgia, they have, I think it said they had like 55 non-coaching football personnel. I mean, that's that's an enormous number of, of polo shirts, right? That's, that's like somebody assigned to watch social media of prospects assigned to each assistant coach. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just something that, you know, it's just not feasible uh, at, at 99% of schools out there. So like in other sports, the Yankees don't win every year. You have to find a way to, uh, to be more efficient and be smarter and, I don't think that was necessarily the intent of this. Uh, I think the intent of this was to have Dave Kelly in that role and add a coach, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, that's not how it worked out. It does not necessarily mean that it will be a disaster, however. So we'll have to see. So uh, interesting that you just said that. And I'm, I'm not saying that I disagree with you, but I, I wonder if the intent in this was not to add David Kelly and keep a coach. Oh, like Greg Fry? Like Greg Fry. Yes. Certainly possible. Um, although that would give you an imbalance of six slash four on the offense. It, it, we had a couple yeah, listeners ask us about it. It would. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm more than willing to – I'm not saying that this is necessarily the case either. I, I just wonder if uh, 
if maybe Fry's departure wasn't in some way, shape, or form dictated by the fact that we caught wind that we weren't ultimately going to win this. Right. Uh, I was also told that an appeal uh, might be possible in this, but apparently uh, some people think that's not possible and they might not pursue it. So I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen with that. Uh, the other thing, I, I, I thought about this a lot as this was going on. You know, I I think the smartest move, if you, if you couldn't get the waiver, honestly, uh, might be to get rid of either your running backs or tight ends coach and go and move somebody else to running backs or or, or just not have a tight ends coach and just have the, the tight ends work with inside receivers and outside receivers coaches. Mm-hmm. Because Bryle's offense, for the most part, has used an inside receiver coach and an outside receiver coach. And, in fact, many spread offenses do. And with the amount of four-wide uh, and, and you know, multiple wide receiver schemes that Florida State runs, I think it would make a lot of sense to do that. Uh, now, clearly, I don't think Coach Taggart's going to get rid of Coach Pimp uh, because he's been with him since Western Kentucky, and they're extremely tight. Uh, and we'll see if that ends up being a smart move, if he starts uh, getting some prospects in here recruiting-wise. Uh, and Telly is obviously a very important part of recruiting in, in Dade County. So that is so I, I don't think he's going anywhere either. Uh, but that was just an idea I had. You could certainly get rid of somebody and, and shuffle some people around if you wanted, which would still allow you to hire a, another uh, defensive coach if you wanted to get back to a 5-5 five and five alignment. And, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, next year for 2020 uh, when, when they have the opportunity to hire a 10th again with, with, with DK fully off the field uh, where they decide to fill that hole. But uh, that's kind of all I have there on 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 thoughts of that uh, i i really am curious how that would have played out if they did not ask for an appeal because clearly he does not fit the uh the intended definition within the rule oh, it's, right? it's the antithesis it's, of it's, it yeah absolutely yeah he's really caught up on, on some technicality bs which is why the people told me uh yeah there's honestly like a lot of schools wouldn't bother even like asking in silly about this they just say it's it's good yeah um, yeah, if you hired so, David Kelly 25 years ago when he was a high school coach at Dunwoody High School, I, I would think that that might be more in play. But uh, being that it's, uh, you know, not 1995 uh, and, and instead 2019, this is a, does, not, does not in any way, shape, or form seem to be the targeted audience by that new rule, but seems to have caught, caught him up in the mix nonetheless. Uh, Bud will kind of slide away from uh, – from the initial aspects of spring practice, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but uh, we'll do uh, you know three or four minutes on the underwear Olympics. Uh, Brian Burns went, did as as well as he possibly could have. Uh, fantastic performance uh, by Burns. Congratulations to him. Did great things for his draft stock and had one of the better combine performances I can remember out of the past couple of years from a Florida State athlete. Obviously, this is post hoc, but but I I expected that. He is freakish. If you ever seen a kid play basketball, you know what his athleticism looks like. He can bend. He's very fast. He's going to be very hard to replace for Florida State this year. And I think that if people use him in the right way in the NFL, he'll have a very good NFL career. So uh, that was good. Uh, on the bad side, um, man, I, it does really show you kind of just how much the talent has has dropped off since the national title uh, season. That You only had three guys at the combine. And yeah. two of them are not even guaranteed to be drafted. Yeah, no, two of them, <clears throat> two of them are going to have a hard time getting drafted potentially. Uh, 
I think it just is a is a big fat underlined bold italics marks whatever you want to make it on uh, on some of the real questions that can be asked to the 15 and the 16 class. They were just a lot of swings and misses, and a lot of kids that didn't ever sniff playing anywhere at the level that their high school accolades would have perhaps led you to believe. Yeah, so uh, some scouting, some issues with uh, uh, development, mm-hmm. and uh, and a lot of issues with culture, which I guess goes under the, the development when, uh, development uh, arm there. So I, I expect that to change. Uh, even though I didn't love the class Florida State just signed talent-wise, I still think they'll get more three guys to the combine out of this thing. Three, three is, is very low for a combine invite, but it does explain sort of the uh, – what did they lose? Thirteen games last uh, last two years, twelve games, something like yeah, that. Don't uh, uh, partially. It's not, it. uh, not not fully. Not relive those memories. Uh, listener questions here. Mark asks. We got a lot, man. Do y'all really think Florida State could lose four games next year? To who? Uh, okay, so yeah, I yeah for sure I do. Uh, so the thing is, like projection systems are are not binary, right? They are trying to find the, the most likely outcome, but they don't work with, with just zeros and ones. It's not win-loss, win-loss, win-loss. Here's my projected record. When I go through and do it, and this is pretty rudimentary, like I'm not using a, a like a high-tech algorithm or anything like that, um, at, le- at least not for this. You know, I'm trying to figure out the percentage chance they, they would win in each game, and then either using R or, or just adding them up, to be honest. Then, then you can get your numbers. If you do it, I think you come out to probably – like 7.6, 7.8, which is, is kind of in that 8-4 and four neighborhood. The thing is, fans, when, when they when they do this kind of stuff, if you pull up FSU 2019 schedule, right, I'll, I'll pretend to be big-time FSU fan right here, and I'll just look at it. All right. So, Boise, we're going to win, no doubt. Uh, you know, they're from Boise. It's going to be hot in Jacksonville. Kendall Browse, 1-0. Lose down in a row, 2-0. At Virginia, look, Virginia is not, not any good. Even though I can't name any players on their team, I know they suck despite the fact they were better than Florida State was last year. 3-0. Louisville sucked last year, 4-0. NC State, redemption, right? Uh, it's in tally, 5-0. Okay, we're going to probably lose to Clemson, but it'll be close. Nice. 5-1. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then uh, at Wake Forest, uh, you know, it's a high school stadium, 6-1, hosting Syracuse. Redemption, part, 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 there's a lot of redemption on this, by the way. Uh, you know, 6-2, uh, and two, um, and then hosting Miami Redemptions again, six and three. Uh, at Boston College, you know, BC loses a whole lot, uh, seven and two, or excuse me, eight and two. And uh, Alabama State, nine and two. And at Florida, I, I, I don't know, I won't be a homer here, so I'll, I'll go ahead and say we lose close. So, ten and two. The problem is what, what they're – you see what I'm saying? Your, your, your losses didn't necessarily correspond to some of your, uh, your points there, but uh, – so losses to Florida and Clemson, that's what you had there in, yeah. in your most yeah, simplistic overview? Gotcha. Right. Now, the problem is that they're not really accounting for the the chance of an upset against either Clemson or, or Florida, right? Which there's some chance, probably very little chance against Clemson, but uh, against Florida, some chance. And they're also not account, accounting for the chance uh, that these games in which you're probably like just two-thirds or you know 60% likely to win – are all going to go your way or might not. So against Boise, like if you have a real, real strong opinion on this either way, I'd really like to know why. Um, Because I've got it kind of as a coin flip. 
at Virginia, I, I think is is similarly somewhat coin flippy. Virginia was a better team than Florida State last year. The game is in Virginia. Florida State's going to improve some, I believe. But will they improve me enough to be not only better than Virginia, but better than Virginia on the road? So to me, I've got them going two and one in their first three as the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. You know, win loss only, no 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 gray area fan has them three and zero. Oh. Louisville and NC State, I mean, they're probably 75, 80, 90 percent in those games individually. I'm fine with that. At Wake, I, I don't think Wake's going to be that good, but it's still not a hundred percent lock. It's a conference road game, and you've been a very bad road team for about the last half decade or so. Um, Clemson, we already talked about. Syracuse I, might take a step back legitimately, but we're not 100% sure they're going to take a huge step back. That's not like a 100% locked game. I mean, this, is a, this is a program that's lost 12 games in the last two years. It's not like it's it's a juggernaut. It, 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 you can't just roll the helmet out there and expect to crush these teams this year. Miami, I do think Florida State will be favored, but will they be favored by 10 or 20, I, I doubt it. It's probably a touch, it, like a, a you know, touchdown to a field goal-ish. So there's another t- – it's really I, – I think, you know, if you're in that 7-5, 8-4 range, maybe maybe 9-3, and three, I think that's – I think 9-3 think and three is about as likely as 6-6. Six and six. I, I think 7-5 and, and 8-4 and are about equally as likely. If you're a 10-2 or a 5-7 person, I, I, I'm not 100% sure that uh, – that you're dealing fully in reality, but it's possible. Uh, and then I think like the four and eight or eleven and one or better crowds are probably. Uh, I I want some of what they're what they're having. <laughs> you won five games last year. <clears throat> one of them was against Sanford, in which you were a, a exceptionally close game. Um, one of them, which was against Northern Illinois, which was probably your most legitimate win of the year. Uh, Louisville, the opposing coach, played a massive role in you winning that game. Uh, Wake Forest, uh, you did win that game as well, although the you started out in a pretty concerning manner. Uh, and Boston College, uh, again, another head coach that very much played a massive role in you winning that game. Point is, there's there's not a whole lot of guaranteed dubs uh, anywhere you look with this program right now. And the schedule is wonderful, and the schedule is a a great reason to have optimism for what's out there or what's possible. But uh, the whole idea of like losing more than three games, where the hell are you coming from? That's, that's not the program that Florida state's been the past uh, two years and really more the past three or four years. Absolutely, man. So it, it just, just a good example of, of if you want to be better with projections and want something real, real easy, just kind of assign a, a winning percentage for each game. And then roughly total them up. Even if you're a homer and you do that, you're still going to be better. Give yourself better results than just purely ones and zeros. Uh, Cindy asks, "How bad is Carson Beck going to Georgia hurt Florida?" I think this is an interesting question. Uh, Carson Beck, the top quarterback in the state, uh, really good player, would probably have been the top quarterback in the nation last year. I I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if, but then again, a lot of people would because last year's quarterback class was was hot garbage, uh, at, at least on the whole. I'm sure we'll have some good kids come out of it. But uh, I, I think it hurts somewhat from a perception standpoint, right? Carson Beck, kid out of Jacksonville, Mandarin, a really good player, and um, it looked 
like he was all set to go to Florida. I, I was expecting him to commit on his visit uh, for uh, when he's visiting Florida in the second week in March. And uh, I, you know, I spoke with his dad for a while at, at the Nike camp, and uh, he was talking about what a great connection he had with Dan Mullen and how they spoke about how he fits in the offense and um, you know all, all that kind of stuff. And uh, certainly he didn't say we're going to Florida 100%, but it was you know, pretty – pretty strong vibes that, uh, that Florida was in a great position there. And they were also looking at the time at, uh, at Alabama to which he was once committed. Uh, and then Miami with Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator who was Bama's quarterback coach when Beck was committed to Bama. So that's the connection, uh, to Miami anyway. Uh, so ultimately he ends up in pretty short order, getting a Georgia offer, visiting up there and, uh, and committing. Now this is not the, not the first time he had he had seen Georgia, and he had liked Georgia, but they just hadn't offered him for for a while. But it, it is interesting because Florida had their quarterback committed in Anthony Richardson, who is a freakish athlete, and in my opinion, a perfect fit for Dan Mullen's offense. I mean, we know you not only have to be a willing runner in that offense, but you have to be a legitimate weapon as a runner. If you look at the, the stats that, that his quarterbacks put up, and he's an excellent quarterback coach and has been for a long time, but they also run the heck out of their quarterbacks. And Richardson is, is 6'4", 220, and ran 4'5", 0 uh, at, uh, <laughs> at Nike. I mean, that's like the ideal Dan Mullen quarterback. And yet, uh, very closely tied in with the time that Florida started you know, heavily going after Beck, Richardson decommitted. Yeah. Richardson's a Gainesville too. Yeah, correct. His Twitter name is literally uh, G-B-O-A-A-N-T. So Gainesville's own. Ant, you know, Anthony, uh, you got you to learn, learn how to interpret these kids' uh, Twitter names. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a, I love thing. that you have the ability to do that. Well done. Yeah. It, it's like, it, it, it's, well, I, I was trying to tell my wife the other night that, uh, that Gucci gang was a song that I, I was, I was kind of, you know, I had it in my head. I was humming it to myself when I was making dinner. And she's like, what are you singing? I was like, uh, Gucci gang. She's like, that's not a song. I was like, you are so old. You're so old now. She's like, yeah, I'm younger than you are. I was like, well, yeah, but uh, anyway. So I, we'll have to see if Richardson will, will recommit to Florida. Um, ultimately, I think Richardson is a better schematic fit for Florida uh, than Beck is. Um, so the hit that Florida takes on this might be much more of a uh, you know PR-looking hit than an actual on-field hit, potentially, although – because he's going to, to Georgia, Florida's going to have to play Beck, and, and Beck might end up being really good. Um, not that Richardson won't be. I think he probably will be if he finds the, uh, the an offense that really fits him. So it's an interesting question. I, I don't think it's a huge deal for Florida, although certainly FSU fans are, are going to enjoy it and, and make jokes about it on Twitter. Um, but that's all contingent on them landing Beck again if – or excuse me, on, on getting Richardson to uh, to recommit into the class, assuming that's what they want to do. Um, apologies, by the way, for the air in my hotel room kicking on and off during this episode. Uh, I, I'm out here in L.A. on a couple top-secret projects that I can't discuss just yet, and uh, I can't seem to get this thing to fully shut off. So, anyway, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that question. Um, uh, Jake asks, uh, this is more of a question for Bud, but over the course of any given recruiting cycle, how many guys do you have in your head as far as being able to spit background info and, and how they are as a player off the top? The kids at FSU wants plus the bigger national recruits, even more than that? 
Uh, I do radio in a couple cities weekly, so I would say I could probably give you the name, position, and hometown slash high school of, of all the four stars and five stars. So that is like 500 kids plus the three stars in Florida, you know, Georgia, like Texas and California, who I like, plus uh, you know, plus other kids I've seen at camps who I, I kind of have in, in, in the back of my mind. Um, I know, it's hard to put a number on. I, probably 700, maybe. Just just kind of like, I mean, it'd be like if you're a big baseball fan and, and, and you could, uh, you, you, you knew the, basically the entire roster of every baseball team. I mean, that's about 900, right? 30 times 30. Um, so pro- probably about that. I mean, it's, uh, I will say that like, even though when I, I, I can do that, when I, when I do radio, I always pull up the pages just to be sure because it's, it pays to be prepared. Um, but the main thing is, is early on in the cycle, forgetting about the kids from last year and trying to quickly learn the new ones as, as fast as you can. Uh, Rick asks, my question is in regards to the Elite 11 competition, specifically how it works. Based off the name, I would think that only the Elite 11 quarterback prospects in a class are invited. But just in the Orlando camp alone, there were three quarterbacks invited. So that is FSU's Jeff Sims, uh, uh, Carson Beck, and then Anthony Richardson as well, all of whom we've spoke, spoken about tonight. Uh, Rick continues, one of which was Sims, who you mentioned is currently rated as 35th or so best passer, though you mentioned how fluid the rankings are this early. Do the Orlando camp really have three of the best 11 quarterback prospects, or does the Elite 11 competition give out a lot more invites than the name would suggest? So good question and good observation from Rick. Yes, okay. So you're not getting an invite to the actual Elite 11. You're getting an invite to the Elite 11 finals, which happens at Redondo Beach, which is just down the road from where I'm currently staying right now. And 24 kids go to that. It's like a three-day, they call it a competition, which is basically just a quarterback camp, just a, a silly marketing name. Uh so, right. Uh, and then they take uh, 12 kids out of the 24 to the Elite 11 at the opening finals. And then they uh, release their final list of 11 from that. So technically one kid gets left off, but they basically don't, uh, they don't usually make a big deal out of that. They kind of, they almost should call it the Elite 12 now because they, they take, you know, 12 kids out of the 24. But branding uh, and the reason they take 12 is because they have they usually have six seven on teams at the opening finals and they need two quarterbacks for each team it's just kind of a, a symmetry thing they used to only take 11 because you didn't have that many seven on teams uh, at the opening finals and, and now that they're combined you, you need that but yeah so good question uh, so Sims and Beck and Richardson are three out of the 24 uh, and then they'll take the uh, they'll take the 12 out of those 24. Who they like the best, uh, plus potentially some politics, at the Elite 11 Finals out here in Cali uh, later in the summer. I believe it's like June 3rd it is this year. You want to do Stu? Mr. Stu, <clears throat> you've mentioned several times now that there have been staff members who didn't click. Your reference says Willie and Walt, Willie and Fry, seemingly Walt and Fry. Uh, <clears throat> you know, part of this uh, question on my end might have gotten truncated. Uh because the only thing else I have is we know this is true about past staffs as well. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So it looks like it continues on my page. All right. We know this is true about past staffs as well. I mean, lawing a, a motto, Jimbo, Trickett, blah, blah, blah. 
Uh, questions from, from Stu. In general, how common is staff dysfunction? Uh, two, how at fault is Willie for not picking a staff that can meld? Three, does this dysfunction currently exist on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, so number one, uh, I would say every staff in America has people who don't get along with each other. Just Let's think about your job, for example. Now, I'm kind of lucky because I kind of run my own ship, and I do have some coworkers that I have to work with who I you know, find either incompetent or I just don't like working with them. But for the most part, I love most of my coworkers at SB Nation. So uh, that's, you know, a, a good relationship. Uh, but, like, I guarantee you that a ton of people out there have some coworkers they absolutely despise. And the reason is because you don't get to pick your coworkers for the most part. You get to pick where you work, but not really who you work with. And uh, so it, it happens on every single staff. It's, it's not a, a huge deal. They're, like, these staffs are not all so tight that they're like 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 breaking out into song like a damn Disney movie. <laughs> all right, it just doesn't happen. Um, some staffs probably have a little bit better cohesion than others, uh, but look, cohesion isn't necessarily always a great thing because that can lead to staffs that get a little bit complacent. Uh, how at fault is Willie for not picking a staff that can meld? I, I mean, somewhat at fault. Clearly, he's the one doing the hiring. Um, I don't know that he would have anticipated some of the dysfunction, but uh, um, you're the head man, so so you got to wear it. And uh, number three, does the dysfunction currently exist on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, I, I don't think it's like a they hate each other thing, but there was certainly a learning curve as they learned to work with each other. I'll, I'll say that. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say about that right, right, right this second. I think it's it's a challenge for every football staff that's ever been put together. I mean, you know, you'll have a, the occasional few that are particularly close, uh, but between college football coaching staffs being made up of people that are, you know, mostly type A, exceptionally driven uh, individuals that aren't around each other all that long, uh, whether that be people get other opportunities or anything else, um, when it gets to be exceptionally dysfunctional and there were periods of that. And some of the references that, uh, Stu, you mentioned in your question, if you got, you know, like, look, uh, like Jimbo and Lawing, that, that reached a point where it was detrimental to a lot of people involved. Uh, then that's a little bit different than guys who don't necessarily click or, you know, instantly become best friends or spend their off off time with each other. No doubt. Uh, okay. Uh, we, all right, we have two more, I think. Uh, uh, Wade asks, is it time that we put Babyon Johnson in the group of guys that can't play with Bellow and Williams? Uh, he was the number one center coming out of high school. What happened? Well, uh, he's had injury issues. He's had conditioning slash weight issues. And he's had two offensive line coaches in, uh, what, three years now, I believe. But, you know, he's a redshirt uh, – was he – I think he's a redshirt junior now, so he's got he's got two more years to play. Uh, no, I, I do not put him in that category uh, because I, I feel like he is not somebody who is just basically uh, irretrievable as, as, a, as a, a starter due to the, the lack of development that, that he's been able to get. I, I think that he is still absolutely salvageable as a player. Um you know, there's other guys in the offensive line who I feel like there's just too much missed time, and, and they, they can't make up for it. 
So, or most likely can't make up for it. But no, I, I did not put Baby on in that category. Uh, and then which? What, what? We'll take uh, the final question from Matt. You want to go with that one? Uh, Matt. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Opens his question by being complimentary of the two of us in the show. Thank you for the kind words, Matt. And moves on, says, could you touch on Miami's heavy use of the portal relative to Florida State's? Should FSU have been more active to this point? Have they been more active or have they attempted to be more active and have just been less successful when it comes to results? Or is Florida State likely right to prioritize culture with existing group and not wanting to add a significant number of external players? Okay, so uh, this is interesting. I am not convinced that Miami's use of the transfer portal is going to work. I think it is really smart in one way uh, that I am – I'm actually going to tease this uh, because I, I uh, my main job is SB Nation, so I can't give away stuff that I'm going to be writing for them on the show. But I do think that there's a, a market inefficiency that Miami is trying to exploit with the transfer portal. Uh, and I think it's an undersold way in which Miami is using the portal uh, – and I'm writing about that uh, and how new coaches can use it to do some things. Uh, maybe not the things that their fan base actually thinks that they can do it with, you know. Uh, but uh, I don't think Florida State should have been that much more active to this point with it. We know that they've already went out and taken a, a quarterback in White Rector and in Jordan Travis, and they've already taken – uh, a, a, a junior, or excuse me, a, a transfer offensive lineman in the NIU kid. Uh, some of these big names that Miami got in the transfer portal, I believe, are available for a reason. And I don't think that all of those kids that they got from the transfer portal are going to end up as studs. In fact, uh, I heard some very unflattering things about several of their transfers. I think you have to be really careful in how you balance your roster, right? Kids who show the willingness to transfer, uh, some of them are going to work out and be great. Other ones might legitimately be attitude problems, cultural problems. They might have drug problems. Uh, they might have academic problems. It, it's it's certainly becoming a tool in college football, but I don't think it's an effective way to build a team. Um not, not in the same way that, that you know, maybe like USF did with junior college kids under Jim Levitt back when USF was letting them take, I mean, literally whoever they wanted to take, basically, uh, if you if you recall, like Jason Pierre Paul story yeah. back in the yeah. day, um, which is before we started podcasting, obviously. But anyway, uh, so I, yeah, I think that the question asking about culture uh, is, is important. Um, but they've already taken – I mean, several transfer portal kids. I, I, I don't know how many schools have taken more. Miami certainly has. Texas might have, but it'd be cool to see a list of, of how many teams have taken more. Except she's already taken three. Good, uh, good answer to a question. Uh, I think that'll probably bring about uh, the end of this edition of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud enjoyed it as always. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Thank you to uh, any kind of social media feedback you provide to our sponsors. Uh, if you can't make it down for the spring game uh, and do have the opportunity to make it to Jacksonville, we would uh, love to have the opportunity to uh, shake your hand, interact with you, uh, whether it be at either of those two places. But uh, thank you, as always, for your support. 
and uh, we look forward to pushing on through spring here and uh, getting ever so closer to, uh, to August and September.